Um, it's a huge privilege and a pleasure uh, to talk to you today about this incredible passage. It's a passage full of beauty, of hope, and of love. A passage that allows us to hear this intimate, raw conversation between Peter and the risen Jesus. In God's providence, this record is in scripture for us to read, to contemplate, and to learn from. And to learn more about Jesus and how he shows his love for Peter back then, but also for us today. A story of the greatest second chance ever given. We'll be looking closely at John 21 and also jumping back to Luke 22. So it would really help, I know we often say this, but it would actually really help if you had your Bibles open on page 1090 uh, where we start with John 21. Also within your notice sheet, uh, there is a batting order to show you the structure of my talk to give you some indication of where I'm going. At the start of chapter 21, Peter, John, and five other disciples are back home on the shore of Lake Galilee. You can imagine it, the sun glistening on that sea, that beautiful sea, maybe a morning like this morning. So, why? Why is Peter and John and the other disciples on that shoreline? Well, it's because the risen Jesus had told them to when he appeared to them, um, the disciples back in, uh, in Jerusalem. In Matthew 28, we see Jesus saying, go and tell my disciples to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So they're waiting for him in Galilee. And what does Peter suggest they do? He suggests they go fishing. A very ordinary thing to do. Well, they go fishing overnight and they catch nothing. A stranger on the beach in the morning shouts for them to fish on the other side of the boat. And amazingly, they do so and they catch hundreds of fish. Then John first identifies that that is no stranger, but it's Jesus. So characteristically, Peter strips off and dives in the water to see Jesus. So through either fishing or the rest of the disciples getting to the shore on the boat, in the usual way, all the disciples get to the shore and together with Jesus, they build a little fire and cook some fish for breakfast. So now they're sitting there on the beach. How do you think Peter feels? Maybe the smell of this little fire reminds him of another fire, the charcoal fire, just a few weeks earlier, in that dark courtyard in Jerusalem, where he denied that he even knew Jesus. Now, sitting so close to his friend Jesus, he remembers the horror of those words he said. Woman, I don't know him. Not only once, but three times disowning Jesus. Now he's sitting next to him. How will Jesus respond? How would you feel if you were Peter? Can I ask you just to think if there's ever been a time that you've done something really bad? It might have been something at work, or maybe you've done something to really hurt somebody, maybe a family member or a friend. And you know that time's coming when you're going to have to talk to your boss or your family friend or a member of your family. Now imagine being in Peter's shoes. You've let Jesus down, the Son of God. 
and now you're sitting on the beach together. They had finished eating. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice Jesus doesn't do what we might do and either try to build Peter up by reminding him of all the good things that he's done or making Peter pity himself by asking about how he had failed him. No, Jesus goes straight to Peter's heart. Do you love me? Three times he asks this. Why three? Well, first of all, beautifully, Jesus is giving Peter a chance to undo those three denials with three confirmations of his love. But he's also giving this impetuous chap, Peter, that we love so much, the chance to really think deeply about his answers. He answers, firstly, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then secondly, maybe a bit quieter, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then a third time, he's hurt, and he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. When Claire, my wife, says, love you, as I leave home, quickly sometimes, I just respond, love you, and um, that's it. However, at other times of deep conversation, or when she does something so loving that I ponder on my love for her, of how much I love her, of my love for her, and it takes me back, it shocks me. Peter loves Jesus the same the first time as he does the third. But by that third time, he's now responding deep from within his heart, not his head. And this is the point Jesus is making, confirming where Peter's heart is. In Jesus, indeed, Jesus knows all things, so he already knows that Peter loves him. So for whose benefit is he asking Peter, do you love me? Well, the question I think is multiple. Yes, certainly Peter, that's who he's asking. And he's doing this for the reasons I've given. But he's also asking him for the good of the other disciples. But also, the reason why I think this is in scripture is this is for us, who've heard this passage many years later. Jesus is saying that important thing to Peter, the important thing is Peter's heart. And this is what his restoration is based on, his heart for Jesus. Jesus gives Peter one of the most important jobs in the early church, to look after his sheep. Notice Jesus calls them his sheep. Jesus is trusting Peter with his most precious of all things, his sheep. In fact, all of us. This is a daunting thing for many of us who are called to care for others, which frankly could be many of us. Those called to be dads or mums or brothers or sisters or friends. We're all caring for his sheep to this day. But at the heart of what is most important is our answer to that question Jesus asks. Do you love me? Everything else follows from that answer. The Peter, who just a few weeks ago wouldn't have admitted that he was a disciple of Jesus, now on that beach knows he's a forgiven man with a job to do. But how do these two Peters compare? 
the Peter in the courtyard ready to deny Jesus, and the second Peter, today's Peter, from our passage, professing his love for him and being commissioned to feed his sheep. Let's look for a moment at that courtyard Peter. How did he come to be in this state? And what can we learn from him? There are three things I think we can observe and then look out for in ourselves. Um, why did Peter fail so badly? Luke 22 has three reasons embedded in it. So keep your finger in 21, and if you could skip back to Luke 22, that's on page 1058. Um, I'm going to pick out those three reasons. Luke 22 has the passage about Peter's denial. And the first of these reasons is pride. So if you look at verse 33 in Luke 22, Peter says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Peter was blinded by his own pride. In this chapter, he ignores his own weaknesses. Instead, he highlights the weaknesses of others. He doesn't have a sense of his need for Christ. He trusts himself alone. The phrase, pride comes before a fall, that we use it so much in English, comes from Proverbs 16. And this is so true here. This pride, this self-reliance, leads to an utter surprise when failure comes. I never thought it would happen to me. How often do we say that? If you're anything like me, then this is something that we have to be really aware of in ourselves. When we think we can get on with life alone and we don't need God, then failure is surely to follow. The second reason is Peter's lack of prayer. Straight after the incident I've just talked about in verse 33, Jesus goes off to Mount the Mount of Olives to pray. Leaving the disciples behind, he says to them in verse 40, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then Jesus withdraws to pray himself. Upon his return, Jesus found Peter and the others asleep. Why? Well, lack of prayer can also come from pride. Maybe Peter thought he could cope alone and so chose to sleep rather than pray as Jesus had instructed him. You see, to pray is a declaration of dependence. Maybe Peter thought he didn't need to pray. If we don't see our weaknesses, then why do we need to pray? We should recognize our weaknesses, praying, Lord, I can't do this unless you help me. As we've just seen in verse 40, Jesus is clear that prayer will help us to resist temptation. When we are tempted, do we turn to prayer rather than the temptation? At that point, there's a fork in the road when we are tempted. And do we choose to succumb to that temptation, allowing temptation to turn into sin? Or do we stop and on bended knees pray to God for strength? When we pray, then we're saying that we depend on Jesus. Discipline and planning are important here. I know that if I only pray when I feel like it, then I'm not going to pray very often. I need to set time to pray, whether I feel like it or not. I know that my faith has only grown when I allow prayer to be central to my life 
That means central to all aspects of my life, home or work. At work, um, I have a lovely group of Christian friends, and often we pray about business issues, and God wants to be involved in all of our lives, so let him in. Third reason is that Peter acted alone. We can see in verse 54, Peter followed at a distance, alone, without any other disciples. Our culture rewards acting alone. Think of our action heroes, people like uh, James Bond or uh, Clint Eastwood. Um, We see them conquering impossible odds on their own. Now, this may be the way of the world, but it is not the way of the church. The Bible teaches us that we should not be independent, but we should be interdependent. We shouldn't act alone. We should act together, being accountable to each other. Do you think that Peter would have denied Jesus if Peter had been alone? If John was sitting by him, I'm not sure he would have. When we are anonymous, it's just too easy to take the easy way out. Anonymity is so very dangerous, and fellowship is key. So is there anybody that you are accountable, who you pray with over the things that really matter, the things that you're really challenged by, someone that, you all will, someone that you'll allow to see your bank statements, maybe your internet usage, or your temptations? Or are you acting alone? Putting all this together, Peter's pride, his lack of prayer, and his acting alone, we get this harrowing scene of Peter denying Jesus three times in that courtyard. And the part that really makes me shudder in this passage from Luke 22 starts at verse 60. And let me just read those few verses for you. Peter replied after the third challenge, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the cock crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the crop crows crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. But Jesus didn't leave him there. Jesus didn't disown Peter. Peter, as one of his sheep, is too precious to him. So we return to our passage in John 21, 15 to 9. Peter does not receive a rebuke or anger from Jesus, but finds real forgiveness. Jesus won't let Peter forget him, no, but he focuses on the most important thing here, asking him three times, do you love me? And by the third time, Peter is remembering the fullness of his his sin and his shame. To be restored, we must feel the pain and the impact of sin. We must first be convicted of the horror of our sin. Jesus does not come up and put his arm around him and say, my dear chap, I know you've been through a really hard time and make excuses. That's not his style. Grace is free, yes, but it's not cheap. With the three denials fresh in his mind, Peter had the opportunity to put them right by declaring his love for Jesus three times as well. Only after this does he receive forgiveness, leading to real repentedness. Peter is hurt. It's all coming back. 
Peter is, taking, is taken right back into his sin. Now, at this point, Jesus restores him. Jesus now puts real trust in Peter, trusting him with his most valuable thing, his sheep. Christ forgives Peter and then trusts him with the people he died for. Peter is given immense responsibility. And amazingly, Christ also trusts us, even though we've let him down so many times. Again and again, forgiving us. This is Christ-like. He sees our heart and how much we long to love him more. Jesus knows now that Peter is ready to feed his sheep. Jesus then doesn't hold his punches. Christian life is not a promise of a bed of roses. And I know so many of you can bear witness to that. We see this for Peter when Jesus prophesied in the way that Peter's life will end. Uh, Tradition has it that Peter's life ended in crucifixion in Rome. And this phrase, stretch out your hands, could indicate this, some theologians think. We do know that even knowing this, Peter went on to serve Jesus' sheep, the early church, for some 30 years before he met his end. Serving for 30 years, knowing that this is how it would end. Love for Peter meant sacrifice. Real Christian service does. Peter serves. Why? Because he knew what Jesus had done for him. He served much because he had been forgiven much. After this revelation, Jesus finishes this passage with this simple command, follow me. This is not just an invitation to Peter, but to all of us. Jesus says this morning that this message to us too, follow me. What does this mean? Well, in relation to the failures I pointed out earlier about Peter uh, in that courtyard, First of all, it starts by keeping our eyes on him, trusting him, having pride in him, not ourselves. Secondly, staying connected to him in prayer so we know where he's leading. And thirdly, not being alone, but being with his sheep, being aware of helping each other to follow him daily. But the most important thing in this passage is the answer to the question that Jesus asked Peter three times. A question he wants to ask us this morning too. Jesus wants you to answer the question, do you love me? And the way you answer this question this morning changes everything. Amen.